Matthew chapter 6, I uh, reading some books recently and, and came across uh, this quote and it got me really, really thinking about what Jesus said. Uh, and it's uh, R.W. Sproul, he was a great preacher. His son got in a little bit of problems uh, recently or a couple years ago anyway which I may actually minister on. But he he said these words in one of his books. He said, I once read the following definition of a fanatic. A fanatic is a person who has lost sight of his real goal and redoubles his efforts to get there. The fanatic runs around frantically getting nowhere. He is the basketball player without a basket, the tennis player without a net, the golfer without a green. For a Christian to make progress, learning to please God, he must have a clear idea of what the goal is. Jesus stated it this way, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And I began to read that, I began to think about the statement that Jesus is, makes, and we're going to read it in context, about seeking first the kingdom of God. That God's heart and desire is that we would put uh, His kingdom, His purpose, first. And the Bible says He will then add all things Unto you, And so let's read and let's think about this. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Jesus says, and I'm going to back up a little bit as I minister, but just for time's sake, I'm going to begin in verse 31. And he says, don't worry about these things, saying, what shall I eat or what shall I drink or what shall I wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything that you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's troubles are enough for today. And in that statement is a whole great other sermon that I could preach on living in the now. People either lose out because they live in the past, they're bitter, they're angry, they're disappointed, they talk about the past, or they live worrying about the future and they miss the now. But that's another sermon. Jesus mentions here the kingdom of God. Now in this context, if you follow it through, this is actually pretty much in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, the in, most probably influential sermon uh, of Jesus' ministry, uh, that as he preached this, this began uh, to be much of what uh, his teaching circulated among the people. Uh, they began to hear about uh, the things that he said, unlike uh, the uh, Pharisees, the Bible says he spoke with authority. Uh, he didn't speak just religious jargon. Uh, he actually uh, uh, got down to where people lived and they were impressed with that. But in the middle of that, and, and following this even into uh, chapter, uh, just, uh, uh, chapter 6, uh, he begins to talk about praying. And in the midst of that, he says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father... 
in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That Jesus is making a priority. Much of the parables, as I began to study this out, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he tells a story. That Jesus prioritizes this. In the ancient Jewish mind, one commentator wrote, this, uh, the, the thought was to pray, uh, uh, when he prayed, not all the prayers that he made would mention the kingdom of God. Then Jesus became this, uh, came on the scene and he brought this into a custom. He said, let the cause of the kingdom reign. Let it flourish. Uh, let the Messiah come uh, speedily. This would be the thought that the Jewish mind would hear. Let the Messiah come. Let the kingdom of God be ushered in. And so Jesus spends lots of time on this. What is a kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? We know it's not a physical place. Yet. We know it'll be in heaven when we get there. But Jesus said the kingdom of God is here now. When you go preach, you tell them the kingdom of God has come here. So what is that? Well, the kingdom of God is very simply uh, the thought of having a king, Jesus, and being associated as his people. When I was, I lived overseas for 14 years. When I was overseas in, uh, both in Lithuania and in Ireland, uh, they used different voltages. The United Kingdom and, and Ireland used 240 volts. The rest of the European Union uses 220 volts. They use a different hertz as well. They use 50 hertz instead of 60. And it's, it's different electricity, different plugs, different, uh, uh, different ways of doing it. But when you walked into the United States Embassy, they had 110 voltage, just like we have here. They had the plugs that you would be familiar with, not these strange-looking things. When you walked in, it was a piece of the United States in a foreign country. I mentioned uh, that in uh, 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 Western Massachusetts, uh, in uh, uh, East Long Meadow, is a place they call, they have the fairgrounds, which is not just like the New York State fairgrounds, they actually call this the Big E. It's the New England State Fairgrounds. And in the, this big E, there's actually five different territories uh, owned by Connecticut, Rhode Island, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. It's the only place in the United States where actually a state owns a sovereign piece in another state. And when they have the Big E, they will send, I'm sure it's a cushy little, you know, sweet little uh, 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 posting, but they'll actually send a state police officer from each of those states uh, to be there, and you can be arrested as if you were in Maine, even though you're surrounded by Massachusetts. 
This is what the kingdom of God is to represent. It's his people. Even though we may be in a hostile environment, even though we may be not in heaven itself, we may be on earth in whatever you'd want to call it, Babylon or however, we are the people of God establishing his kingdom and we're still citizens of heaven, citizens of the kingdom. Right now, the kingdom is where Christ is king and his people honor him. Pilate asks him, are you a king? Pilate challenges Jesus and Jesus replies and he says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight and keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king. And Jesus replied, you rightly say I'm a king. Actually, I came and born and came into this world to testify of truth. And all who love truth recognize what I say is true. Pilate is struggling with this and he's trying to get a hold. Is this man a king? And he says, you, Jesus says right out, I am king. And my, it's not a earthly like the United States of America. But it is heavenly. We are the people of God. I just want to address one false teaching that comes from time to time, blows through the church, and that's if we could just get enough Christians on planet Earth, Jesus would come back and he'd establish his kingdom. And so we should elect Christians. The problem with that is that I think out of uh, the 220 nations on the planet, only like 70 of them are democracies. Actual democracies that could elect Christians. The rest are not quite that way, or they're twisted, or they're very corrupt. And so electing a Christian to get Christians into all the governments and all that, it's just not going to happen. This is a kingdom age doctrine. It's kind of an insane thing. It misses the rapture, misses the great tribulation. It's not biblical, and it's really not even possible. But the kingdom. When Daniel had his vision in Daniel chapter 7, he saw someone who he described like the Son of Man coming and approaching him and he made the statement that his rule is eternal it will never end his kingdom will not be destroyed so jesus teaching about the kingdom of heaven is not new it wasn't like a new doctrine it wasn't like wow this is insane we've never heard this before he just began to make it real to people that the kingdom of heaven is something you and i should pursue Jesus told us that without being born again in John 3, 3, you will not see the kingdom of God. This doesn't come by observation. This doesn't come by just uh, signing a membership. This comes by a new birth. There are people who do get a citizenship in another country. My daughter just recently became a dual citizen with the nation of the kingdom of the Netherlands. Or Holland. She actually did it. She spoke in Dutch. They filmed it. They impressed the people there that she speaks Dutch so well. And uh, it was just, uh, you know, a great time. She's able to keep her dual citizenship. She's able to keep her United States citizen. But 
most of us are Americans because we were born here in America. We were born into the United States. It gives us certain, inel- uh, you know, certain rights under the Constitution. If we're going to experience the kingdom of God, Jesus said you have to be born into it or born again. It's not something you get. There's an old film that's called God Has No Grandchildren. You don't get to be a Christian because your parents were Christians. You don't get to be a Christian just because you attend a church. Or have a church membership or say I belong or I affiliated. Jesus said you must be born again. Matthew chapter 13, the kingdom of heaven. He brings out seven times in that as he tells parables. uh, The kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey, a man finding a pearl of great price, a treasure in the field, whatever it might be. He puts this out as something of value, something to be handled with great respect, something to lay hold of, to sell everything you have to get. To experience yourself. Jesus brings out, and we're going to touch on this in a minute, it has to do with lifestyle. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Paul wrote and said, for the kingdom of heaven, this is Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink. It's not an outward expression. It is living a life of goodness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That God says, this is my kingdom. You can have this. You can experience this. There's something tangible that happens to those that are part of the kingdom. I mentioned before that my daughter, when we lived overseas, she had the uncanny ability of finding Americans wherever we were. We'd be in the war. We'd be down. We'd be in Poland visiting uh, uh, pastor friends that lived there. We'd go down. We switched back and forth for a couple years for Thanksgiving, and we'd go down there because they don't celebrate Thanksgiving. And so we'd go down, and they'd come up, and we'd go down and such. Uh, we're in the we're in the Warsaw Mall, and she she's they're Americans. They're Americans. She knew right away. There's just something about Americans. We're not a tribe. We're not, you know, not every American looks the same. Just look around the room. But there's something about the way we act that my daughter could pick out. There's something about the way Christians should act. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 and 10, Do you not realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves for those who indulge in sexual sins or those who worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or a greedy people or are drunkards or abusive or cheap people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. He brings out very clearly that, you know what, there's a lifestyle, there's a mark Not because it's you have to do right. It's a outflow of being born again. It's not a must-try-harder religion. You don't just, oh, pump up. 
But he says, you know what? If you're born again, if you'll pursue God, that righteousness will be evident in your life. Doing what is right. Kingdom of God needs to be seen in a number of ways. Kingdom of God is in power. First Corinthians 4 20, Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not just in a lot of talk, but it's by living by God's power. Jesus said in Luke 10 9, He said, Heal the sick, tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to you now. So he brings out that the kingdom of God is in power, healing, deliverances, salvation, conversion. That when people give their lives to Jesus Christ, it's not like, oh, I hope I make it so it's you, you have power now. You can stop sinning. You can stop living a destructive life. Not because it's the rules, but it's because you've been born again. God does something. He gives you the power. I, you know, there are lots of sins that I used to do. Outward sins, inward sins that God set me free from. That the day I got saved, you know, didn't smoke any more cigarettes or anything else. You know, it's ironic. You know, I, I got, <laughs> had opportunities that I didn't have before I was saved. And God gave me the power to say no. That actually, if I was not saved, that would have been destructive. That would have been insane to me. Why would I say no to that? But God did a work in my heart. Jesus brings out a major issue why people don't serve God. Why they don't pursue the kingdom of God. And the issue is worry. Our text says, so don't worry about these things saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? He has actually started this in verse 25. He starts talking about how this is what uh, people live for. They're always concerned about, you know, their needs. And we live in the United States of America. We're not like really overly worried about that. We can all go to Wegmans or Walmart or Aldi's and get food. We can all go to the malls and get clothes. And if you can't afford the malls, there's, you know, Goodwills and you can find something. Or, you know, Amazon delivers and Uber Eats delivers and all of these things. We're not even worried about that anymore. But in Jesus' day, this is what people worried about. But in what he's saying in context, is these are real needs. These are legitimate concerns. These are something that we do have to have. These aren't crazy ideas like, 
well, you know, I was going to serve God, but I couldn't get my fifth Mercedes-Benz and, and my Porsche if I really served God, so I decided I'm not going to serve. You know, that, like, what do you need six Mercedes-Benz for? Right? It's like, that's just crazy. Not bad to have a Mercedes-Benz. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying, you know, do you need six of them? One for every day of the week, brother. And then on Sundays, I drive my Porsche. Come on. Right? But real needs. The legitimate things that people really need. People worry about this. They worry about their future. Our text ends, so do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today, you have enough worries to take care of yesterday. People are worried about this. I've seen people go into panic. I've seen faith sacrificed on the altar of worry. Well, what if this doesn't work out? And how did you... And then, really? Doesn't God already know? He knows every need that you'd have. He's already on it. He's already aware. We can worry about tomorrow so much we miss today. Planning for the future is normal. But worrying about it can cause us to miss God. Worry brings impatience. Let's force it. I'm going to force this because I don't want, I'm worried that it will not work out for me. So people get impatient and they force things. I don't know if you know this, but when most things are forced, that's when you have the greatest opportunity to break things. Don't ask me how I know that. I think I read it somewhere. I, that's how, you know. Right? When you force something, you have the opportunity to really damage it. I've seen people backslide because they're worried about the job they'll have. The person they'll marry. They've sacrificed the kingdom of God because they're worried about something right now. Jesus said that'll kill you, that'll kill your faith. Luke chapter 21, verse 34, speaking of the last days, he says, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing drunkenness and the worries of this life that that day the rapture catches you unaware. The children of Israel, God delivers them out of Egypt. Mighty deliverance takes them through the plagues, takes them out through the Red Sea. They see the Egyptian bodies on the shore of the great army that wanted to destroy them. They get manna from heaven. They get water from a rock. Hit one difficulty. Moses, you took us out here to kill us. We're going back to Egypt. Let's make a God and he'll take us back. Where'd that come from? Came from worry. 
See, Jesus says that the kingdom of God will be sacrificed if we are not careful. Luke 12, 15, beware, guard, Jesus said, against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Lack makes people worry. I've seen this. Very interesting to me, when I was in Lithuania, and the European Union opened up and people could travel and they could actually work in different countries, that a number of people came to me and they said, we want to go to England to work. We can make more money there than in Lithuania, and they surely could. In fact, they could make more in a week than they could in Lithuania in a month. And many of them said, you know what, this is, I think this would be a great move. I'm like, you know what, you need to pray about it. You need to make sure it's God. Everyone, everyone who did it backslid. Every one of them. And I could, the Remigius, Yulia, Girata, I could go just down the list of every one of them that did it backslid. Because they, their worry took them out of the plan of the kingdom of God. One man had a great opportunity to go. Marius had this wonderful, he could have gone. He, he smart man. He said, no, I'm going to stay. He actually got a great job. And then what happened, a lot of them, the 2008 crash, spun them out. Jobs dried up. Places they were working, nobody wanted to hire foreigners. They were in bad places. Uh, he stayed. He had gotten a job. And all of a sudden now he's making a lot more than they are struggling in England. Because I didn't mention, yeah, you can make more money, but rents are a lot higher. Gasoline's a lot higher, and so are the taxes. See, Jesus wants you to know that you don't need to worry. Luke 6.32, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. God says, there's no need to worry. He's going to make sure that you're taken care of. He's going to make sure you're all taken care of. He'll take care of your needs as long as you put God first. Very interesting. God marks firsts in the Bible. He marks the first day. He marks the firstborn. He marks the first tenth. He marks a lot of things. The first. Give me the first, and I'll take care of you. He says, you put the kingdom of God first, and I will take care of you. Luke's version of the same sermon, he makes this statement. He says, the, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Luke makes it even a little bit more personal. 
Not that God will meet your needs in general. He knows your needs. He knows exactly what you need right now. He knows if you need a raise at work. He knows if you need God to help you in a relationship or in a, maybe a car or whatever it would be. God knows exactly what you need already. He says, but you put me first and I'll take care of you. Because God does care. Did you know that? He does care about you. Philippians, Philippians, in Philippi. But anyway, Paul writes and says, don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your heart and mind as you live for Christ. Peter, quoting out of the Old Testament, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares upon him because he cares about you. The New Living says, cast your worries and cares. Take those things you're worried about and give them to God. Say, God, here, I'm worried about this. I need you to help me. The challenge really here is to look for God's hand in your life. Is God's hand in your life? It may not be perfect. Your life may not be perfect. I don't know if you know this, but if you become a Christian, your life does not become perfect. Hey, we're just all happy all the time. You're going to have problems. Legitimate, real problems. As I mentioned in prayer, sometimes your problems give birth to problems. And now you've got grand problems. Right? And great-grand problems. And great-great-great-grand problems. You're right, they just somehow multiply. They're worse than rabbits sometimes. Right? It's just problems, problems, right? No guarantees as you become. But you do have a heavenly father that will help you with your great, 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 great grand problem. And everyone in between. You can rest in God that he's actually at work. Why do you know that? Because you're seeking his kingdom. In business, this is simply called, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. You put me first and I'll take care of you. You pull back to your own needs, you'll lose the kingdom. You can lose the kingdom through worry. Paul writes it this way in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So you can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear what mere people can do to me. If you're seeking his kingdom and putting him first, you don't have to worry. But if you're, you know, covetous people worry about everything. They worry, worry, worry. One of our pastors works for FedEx in California. He made a delivery to Jim Carrey's house. 
Jim Carrey used to be a very, very, very famous actor. Now he's kind of yeah, almost in the struggling, I don't want to be a has-been moments of acting, but he was huge. And as he made this delivery, his wife came out of the garage to get it. She looked frazzled. She's a beautiful woman, but she looks frazzled. And, and, he, and she took the package from, the, from a federal ex, uh, FedEx guy just doesn't know him from, you know, been, been there a couple of times, but not, no relationship at all. Looked at her and, and he, she said, be careful who you trust. Came out in the paper that Jim Carrey's agent and accountant had actually been scamming money out of him. Stealing money from him. What a horrible way to live. All this success, and she cannot not worry. More money than they could probably ever spend in a lifetime, and cannot not worry. If you put God first, live righteously, you won't have to worry. I'm not saying you won't worry. I'm just saying you don't have to if you give it to Jesus. And say, God, I may have some problems. I may have even lost some sleep. Pastor Greg, the first thing he said to me when I got to conference, he goes, done with the building, right? You sold the other one? You sleeping now? I'm like, yep, I am. But the reality of worry that takes you out of the kingdom, you don't have to have that. You can say, God is my helper. God is going to come through for me. God is going to move. Why? Because I put him first. And I'm living for his kingdom. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. You're here this this evening and maybe you're not right with God. You didn't put God first. As we all don't at first. The Bible says all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone seeks his own. But that produces all sorts of problems. Produces worry. It produces conflict. It produces all sorts of things in life. that begin to be destructive. Jesus said, if you'll put me first, I'll take care of you. I'll help you. I'll do a miracle for you. And maybe you're here this evening, you're not right with God. You've not put God first, but you realize that this is why, this is the, this is my problems. It's not what I say. It's not that I don't have enough for this or that or that or this. It's that I haven't put God first. And I need to do that tonight. God needs to help me and he will. If you'll put him first, he'll begin to help you take care of your needs. He will do a miracle for you. Not just a miracle, a series of miracles. I've been saved a long time. He still does miracles for me. God will do that for you. If you're here tonight, you're not right with God. You're not saved or Christian or you're backslidden. You once knew God, but maybe worry took you out. You need to come back to Jesus. I wonder if you'd slip up your hand. Say, pray for me. I'm not right with God. Thank God. An honest heart. Anyone else you want to join? Honest hearts tonight. 
I need to get my heart right with God. Slip up your hand very quickly. Pray for me. I'm not right with God. I'm not saved. I'm not a Christian. I'm backslidden. I need to come back to Jesus very quickly. Amen. Before we do anything else, you raise your hand. Would you look at me? Amen. You mean that, don't you? Would you come tonight? Just find a place to pray right here. I need a brother very quick. Brian's going to come and pray with you. Anyone else want to join? Some people worry. What are you going to do? Thank you. Just kneel down right here. Brian's going to pray with you. You want to join an honest heart. What needs to get a right with God. You want very quickly slip up your hand or just come very quickly. Someone will pray with you. Very quickly. Changing the call then to Christians. Worry. We've got things to worry about. We all do. I can tell you right now, we all got things to worry about. Sometimes there's problems that birth problems. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be, I'm trying to be a little light just because this could be a heavy, depressing subject. But in reality, they can be very, very real. They can be so real, they destroy our faith. They take us out of the kingdom of God. God wants to meet with you right where you are. Whatever you're going through right now, come and cast it on Jesus. Let God help you with it. Seek first His kingdom. Put Him first. And I'm telling you, He's going to work out details for you. He'll do miracles. Let's all stand. These altars are open. Let's give Him praise this morning, this evening. Sing a song, worship His name. Hours above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man. You were here before the world began. Oh, oh, oh.
worship him tonight. Father, we thank you. Lord. 